Hey, before the show starts, we want to let you know that the Cybersecurity Marketing Society's annual conference, Cyber Marketing Con 2022, will be held this year, November 16th through 18th in Arlington, Virginia. And yes, there will also be a virtual option. You really don't want to miss it. We'll have two days jam-packed with cybersecurity marketing strategies, ideas, metrics, insights. It's going to be the place to be. Visit cybersecuritymarketingsociety.com and click on conference to grab your ticket. We'll see you there. Welcome to the Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing podcast, where we explore the hottest topics in cyber marketing, interview experts, and help you become a better cybersecurity marketer. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing. Now, today's episode is one that we've been waiting for, and it's one that we teased in the Cybersecurity Marketing Society. We are so excited because today we have Jason Senamore. He is the founder of the CISO Society, which is a friend and partner of the Cybersecurity Marketing Society. We've done some joint events, including our Ask a CISO Anything live webinar, which we'll link to in the show notes. He's the founder of the CISO Society and and his background is in events. Yes, we said it, events, cybersecurity events. So he has all the dirt and all the knowledge on events to avoid and what makes a good event partner for us cybersecurity marketers. So Jason, before we get into events, which is going to be the majority of what we talk about, tell us a little about yourself and about the CISO Society. Well, first and foremost, thank you very much for having me. It's lovely to be here. Before we start, I just want to say how amazing the Cybersecurity Marketing Society is because it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, no, you guys have done an amazing job and it's really, really great. And yeah, congratulations on the journey so far. It's only going to continue to get better. So a little bit about myself, as you mentioned, spend a lot of time working in the event industry. I moved to America 10 years ago and that's when I started working specifically with technology events for CISOs and chief data officers and CIOs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then, yeah, last year decided to launch the CISO Society, which was really an idea that I wanted to run with knowing that people were moving into more of a community type of setting. And I felt that there was something a little bit broken with the way CISOs and vendors are afforded the ability to engage with one another and that was kind of one of the reasons for wanting to kind of launch the group. And it's been really great. That's awesome. So one of the cool things about the CISO Society that I thought was really innovative and definitely a draw for CISOs to join the group is you've actually kind of created a mini fund of sorts of your CISOs and they will vet technology providers in the group for both investments and for their own use as security professionals who need products. Can you tell us like a tiny bit about that? Yeah. So it's not quite as far developed as that as of yet, but ultimately what we wanted to do is give CISOs the ability to put themselves forward for advisory board positions and obviously invest in some of the early stage startups that they feel are going to provide a lot of value to the industry. What I found is Obviously, if you're the CISO for a Fortune 100, 500 organization, you're often invited to be part of those types of initiatives. You may be part of VC advisory networks. You may even be part of investment funds, right? Syndicates, so to speak. But there's a lot of CISOs out there with 
a hell of a lot of experience, a hell of a lot of knowledge, who are incredible leaders, fantastic at their roles. They go under the radar because they might not work for the most glamorous organization, but they are incredible advisors themselves and they want similar opportunities. So we're trying to work closely with some VC firms to provide advisable positions for early stage startups for some of our members and also give them the ability to invest in some of those startups that they think are going to actually create the products to solve the challenges that they're facing. That's exciting. So the many, many VC firms who are listening to this podcast, reach out to Jason, it sounds like. That would be great. Yeah. The more opportunities we can give to the CISOs, really, like that's ultimately where we start. It's all about, hey, how can we continuously provide value to you without there always being a vendor paying to control the narrative. That's ultimately what it was. And so anything we try and do is always with their best interest first. I have a fantastic CISO residence, Larry Whiteside, who is an incredible advisor to me. Yep, exactly. And then my advisory board, who are amazing individuals. So they make sure that we're always on the right path. And then ultimately, we're just very transparent with the community all the time on like, this is what we're planning to do. This is how it would affect you. You can get involved if you want to or not. It's just nice and transparent. And I think from that way, we're able to develop a bit more of meaningful engagement and trust actually within the community. What an incredible stage in your story and your journey too, Jason. Did you actually envision, well, I mean, let's throw it back. Take us back to when your career was in the middle of throwing the hottest technology events in the industry. And did you actually envision that you would be here today, right? Doing more of a community building and content creation and networking. Yes and no. Because I think part of events anyway, one of the valuable things that an event can do is create a community. So I think we've always been part of that anyway. There's nothing unique or nothing new to kind of then think, okay, well, how do we do this long-term? Every person who's been to an event always used to say to us, wouldn't it be great if we could continue this conversation year round? That's ultimately what the community becomes, right? I think a lot of people talk about, especially over the last couple of years, there was a lot of these moves to like these hybrid event structures as well. I've always kind of maintained that I think a hybrid event isn't just an event you attend physically or virtually. It's a community that engages year round where you get access to on-demand and live content, et cetera, et cetera. And then you have these in-person interactions throughout the year that kind of bring you together. That's what we're trying to build towards with the CISO Society. But did I think I'd be here? No. I stepped out last year to start a business that was focusing on helping vendors manage and grow customer advisory board programs. That was where I was working. That was what I wanted to do. I started the CISO Society as a side project because obviously what better than to start developing a network of CISOs that I could get access to for real market intelligence when I'm working with these advisory boards. And then more importantly, part of my roadmap was always going to be helping startups form advisory boards. So now I have a prospect pool of CISOs, but you've got to give them a reason to come. So I was like, okay, well, we'll create the community. We'll have these regular meetup sessions. There's no vendors paying to get access to the group or anything, et cetera, et cetera. And it just started building and building and building and building. And soon enough, all of my attention was started being drawn towards managing this community, which wasn't what I'd expected. So as I say, long answer to yes and no, had I envisioned this really. That's awesome. And hear that everyone? Managing the community ended up taking all of Jason's time. 
He had to shift his focus to managing the community. For anyone thinking about starting a community, a good community is a thing that you feed and you nurture and you grow and you water and you love and you pay a lot of attention to. It's like having a rabbit, I guess, or some other sort of pet. I don't know. What's that thing? The gremlin? Or you can't feed it after midnight? Or kids. I mean, Gianna, those are gremlins that you have to feed and nurture every day and make sure they don't actually die. We'll say that. It's like a kid. <laughs> Let's get into the meat, the heart, the juicy hamburger. I'm vegetarian. The juicy Beyond Burger of this conversation. Jason, we want to talk about events. And because you are in the industry, you know the good guys, the bad guys, the ones that are worth our money, which... As everyone knows on this call and listening, all these events are very expensive. A lot of the events are expensive to sponsor as cybersecurity marketers. And as the market shifts in the U.S., this is being recorded in July of 2022, we have to be extra careful with our budget. And it's sometimes also hard to even determine the ROI of events. If you haven't been, you never go. It's kind of like flipping a coin. You think that it's a good event because of reasons. Oh, there's a list of prospects. Oh, these titles will come. Oh, it costs this much. You'll get to speaking slot, et cetera, et cetera. Jason, help us demystify. And you said in your commercial, help us demystify this in an unmuzzled way. Who are some of the good event vendors out there? We have a list. We actually pulled the society and they have a list of vendors that they want your opinion on. Oh, okay. Interesting. Okay. Juicy, juicy. Grab that pop. Listeners, this is when you grab the popcorn, the margarita, the beer, whatever it is that you grab because it's about to get hot. Popcorns and margaritas, the best combination. <laughs> <laughs> a little insight there into your evenings, Maria. So, okay. Precursor. Important to always remember what is valuable for one isn't valuable for another. That different people have different reasons for participating in events. I think it's important first and foremost for any vendor to establish what that reason is, because that way you're able to manage your expectation a lot more and you're able to draw a lot more value out of it, right? First and foremost. So all the opinions are my own. They don't reflect any of the organizations I've worked for previously, etc. I'm happy to talk about the good guys. And a lot of the time, it's ones that you would be aware of anyway, right off the bat. And then you've got to think about what type of event. So we'll start with the more intimate style, because obviously the majority of these kind of CISO programs or security leader programs where you're expecting to meet with prospective buyers, the decision makers, they tend to be more intimate. And you've got to say, regardless of opinion, really in mine, Ivanta lead the way. They've led the way for a long time. They did things right. They did it the right way from the very early stages. They evolved the right way. They really placed an emphasis on utilizing the CISOs themselves to try and create more meaningful content. And to this day, I would say they still probably attract the best CISO crowd for an event. Okay. Yes. Again, through the eyes of a vendor and a CISO, they of course may also have their faults, but every single event company does. And I think that if any vendor is ever kind of like thinking, I need to dip my toe in the water of events, start with Avanta. And then you can kind of judge the others against it if you then feel that maybe the price point is a little bit steep, because that's obviously one of the pieces of feedback that we often get about those particular programs, but they are great. And then a couple of others that I think could be mentioned as well. So HMG Strategy, I feel have done a very, very good job. 
they're still around, they're still putting on good events. I think they've kind of been evolved the event model slightly, which was good to see from a business perspective. And again, the general feedback that I get is that they run some good programs. They put on some good shows and stuff. I've literally never heard of them. Have you, Maria? Okay. No, I have not. Yeah. And, and I literally caught myself trying to find a pen so I can write that name down. Because- oh, really interesting. So they were always a competitor and they were always just one that I thought were kind of a real competitor. HMG Strategy. Yeah. Hunter Muller Group. I've never met Hunter in my life. Hey, Hunter, if anything comes out of this, give me a shout because my goodness. <laughs> give give but, Jason um, a commission. <laughs> I'm giving you my opinion based on feedback I've had from a lot of vendors and a lot of CISOs, right? And that's the kind of feedback that I get. And then from there, again, it's a bit hit and miss. So there's a bracket of groups that exist. Some are starting to pull away from the group as showing that they're really doing some good stuff. Others are being a little bit more stale. The other one that I'll say that would be worth keeping an eye on is Sea Vision International. That Nelson Soros runs a really, really good operation over there. And then I would say as well, my previous organization, Sync USA, they do a very good job at what they do. And a lot of those companies really do place the emphasis of the experience of the vendor first. However, that sometimes can be detrimental, which we obviously will cover as well. At RSA this year, I met Nelson in person. He was hosting one of his dinners and he actually invited me just to obviously to meet in person and say hi, but also meet his team. It was actually really cool. He actually had me sit at the dinner just to experience what it actually is like if we were to think of it from my vendor hat perspective. And I got to see like the concept, the format, and also the dynamic that he had with the people around the table. There was a lot of just personal connections versus pure business formal connection. And it was well-organized and pretty well-crafted, if I have to say. So I got to see it firsthand uh, and it was actually pretty cool to experience. Kind of like trying on the jeans before you buy them. That's a really good tactic people can take, right? Now, every event company hates it. So let's get into it. Every event company hates try before you buy. They don't want that to happen. And I think in a lot of occasions it's justified. When you think about a small event where you've got maybe, well, I say small, like a forum or summit or whatever, where there's 50 or 60 people down in Arizona, that type of thing. The value is very much demonstrated in the interactions you're able to then kind of secure with the CISOs on site in the form of those one-on-one meetings or speed dates, whatever they may be, right? For a vendor, that's the value. And if you're going to just, oh, can we send someone to just check it out? They're not going to get the value because the networking sessions aren't always full, The sessions themselves aren't always full because a lot of the focus is on those meetings. So sometimes you've got to try and meet someone in the middle and say, look, we'll pay. Can we just get four meetings or something or three meetings? And we'll pay a certain amount because that way you're trying, but you're given something. And most event companies would be open to that, would be open to that type of deal. Oh, that's actually really good. I had no idea. So that's a really nice internal information nugget that a lot of people can take away from this episode. That's awesome. Yeah. And again, because I also feel for the event company, they've got to be able to demonstrate the value to you. And if they can't do that in a meaningful way, then you're going to turn up and what always happens is, oh yeah, they came back, but they didn't really have much to report. And you're like, well, yeah, because everyone else was meeting with everyone and it was a little bit tricky. So that's one thing that people can try and do. But the try before you buy is always great. And if you're able to just kind of go and observe, check something out before you can do it, 
And dinners are a great way to do that because obviously dinners happen all over the country with lots of cities. So they're bound to be one close to you that someone's running at some point that you can go and check out and just meet them and kind of see firsthand what it's about. What are some other good indicators of a good event vendor? You had talked previously in our pre-call about relationships and how important they are to good event vendors to have good relationships with the CISOs and the cybersecurity community. What are some other examples of green lights that help us marketers vet these many, 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 oh my God, there's so many event vendors? So I think the key is always how transparent the event company is going to be with the information they give you. So a typical tactic of some of these event companies is to password protect their attendee list. In my personal opinion, all that does is show that you've got something to hide. If anything, if an event company had a great attendee list, if it were me, I would showcase that on my website for everyone to see. Hey, look who's coming to my event. I've never understood the password protected thing. And the only reason it's done for the most part is because you can share a password, you can look at someone, and then you can justify not sending them an email of the attendees. Because as soon as you send somebody an email with attendees on it, they could forward that on to somebody else. And that person could say, I'm not attending that event. That's not true. And that has happened in years past in event organizations. I think that practice is dead and buried for the most part, but there were instances. And you can Google these things that CIO saying, or company saying CIO is attending event, someone going, well, I know that person calling them up, them saying no, not happening. And so if they can be transparent about their attendees, with respectfully, because you're not always going to get names and everything like that. But if they can be transparent about the types of organizations they can be there, and then you can hold them to that because a lot of the time there's a bait and switch of, oh yeah, they couldn't come in the end, they couldn't come. And as much as attrition is very real and it's very difficult running events and so many reasons can cause an attendee to need to cancel their attendance, there shouldn't be too much attrition really if that person has been fully registered for a program. So you you can hold them accountable to that, I think. And I always feel it's good practice if the vendor doesn't feel they've got the value that they were sold and what they bought, then there's every reason to dispute working with that company again or or asking for for some form of refund or do-over. I have dealt with a company, an event vendor recently, and they offered after our meeting minimum guarantee was not met that I could attend another event. I mean, think about the companies that your members work for, the vendors. Like, would they try and go, oh, well, buy this product instead? If a customer wasn't satisfied, it would never happen. So to try and push you to do something else is absurd. And that's where I'll say, that's why, you know, if I say about Sea Vision International, Nelson does that. Sync USA, the CEO, Ross, he'd done that. If someone's not happy, it's like, look, I get it. You didn't get what you paid for. And rest assured, those customers came back. Of course they did, because they know now I can trust you. And if I'm not happy, no, it's not about now nitpicking at certain things. Of course not. You know, there's then a very clear professional agreement. This is what I'm buying. This is what I expect. Great. And what the company would normally do, like Sync would do this, go above and beyond that next time. Like you better believe you're going to get an incredible experience because they want to show that they can't, it was a one-off on that occasion, for example, or they will kind of go above and beyond to make sure that you get a genuine return on investment. And that's actually good because if they truly understand their customer, these event companies, their customer is essentially marketers, right? Of all seniority level. 
But usually you'll have the marketing managers and possibly senior managers and directors that are bringing these ideas for these events to their leadership, possibly to their CEO if they directly report to them. It's always a battle. You have no idea what a negotiation type conversation it is to actually get approval on funding for these things. Even if the promise is meetings with a potential buyer, there's always underlying confusion, first of all, underlying cynicism and this really weird demand for either immediate ROI or predicted ROI from some of these things. And us marketers, quite frankly, don't have that freaking eight ball to tell you what kind of revenue this kind of thing would bring. So to have event vendors that would actually at least promise a do-over and a good one, at least you have that safety net. So even if the first one goes to shit, then, hey, I have a second chance to prove that this is worthwhile and worth the investment for the future. There are always additional costs too, right, Maria? There's, we have to travel, we have to get a hotel room for our people, we have to print things, we have to bring a flyer, we have to bring other stuff, we have to pay for a dinner, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not just the cost of the event either. Yeah, and that's obviously what the event company often fails to recognize. It's true. So to your point, that's always where the event company is going to focus on as well, right? They're always going to try and focus to try to sell to VPSL first, again, depending on the event. They're more often than not going to come to VPSLs first. Those more intimate programs, they are very high if you cost per lead. Having worked for those organizations, it was our job to try and convince you and say, that's not the way to look at it because it's more than somebody walking through by your booth at RSA and you scan them. It's obviously far more than that. And when you consider the amount of money you put into something like RSA, if you are getting a booth, really when you break it down, when you have the guarantee of engaging with a little bit more of a senior crowd, there is a very good comparison of price. So that's why the event companies, they'll typically want to speak directly with VP of sales because sales tend to have a better understanding of that. Like, well, yeah, if you can help me meet with that CISO, then fantastic. I will pay you right now for it. That often happens. And then when it comes into the marketing, because they're fully aware that ultimately the best they can do is give you as much information because they know you're going to have to go and try and sell that internally. And advice I would maybe give to some of the vendors in your community, don't be afraid to invite the event company to be part of a discussion or to be part of a wider discussion. Like sometimes within the role, obviously, because you have to vet so much information, it's, we can appreciate that marketing leader might be hesitant because you don't want to bring everything up the chain, right? So you've got to vet and you've got to then figure out what's the best. But if you've made that choice and one of these events is on the list, don't be afraid to kind of bring them into a discussion where some of the senior leaders can put them on blast and, and be part of that process. Because I think that's one area that a lot of event companies would love to do, but have never really had the chance to do. And quite frankly, haven't really tried to do. But to be able to meet with your marketing team when you're budgeting for the next financial year and say, well, this is what we could potentially have on offer for you to do where you can fit into this strategy, et cetera, et cetera. That's how you start developing more of a partnership with them make it less transactional. And now we'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors and producers, Hacker Valley Media. Chris Cochran and Ron Eddings run an amazing studio here, which produces not only the Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing podcast, but a bunch of other shows that you're going to want to listen to as well. So all these shows plus more, and then on top of that, probably even more coming soon, are available to look at, listen to, and sponsor at HackerValley.com. Make sure you go over there 
and say, hey, Gianna and Maria said I should come check out your website, listen to your shows and uh, sponsor a podcast or two. Jason, what about a more sort of custom curated type of intimate event? I ask because, of course, I get a lot of outreach that says we can get you a roundtable of CISOs of the top 500 or enterprise level potential deals, blah, blah, blah. And we don't sell to enterprise. We have a very niche of a niche of a niche of a part of security that we sell into, number one. And we have a focus of industries and we have a focus of a typical company size. Is there such a thing where we could have vendors actually meet us exactly where we need to be in terms of ICP and get the right people around the table versus just selling enterprise to everyone when actually doesn't fit for it? 80% of a vendor's attendance strategy is send an email out and hope somebody registers. That's the reality. This is the challenge with not developing the relationships with the audience and building that community, right? When you've got a community, it's very easy, as you know, like, hey, folks, we're going to do a webinar next week. Who wants to come? Yeah, I'll come, I'll come, I'll come, I'll come. But when you create this kind of cyclical nature of the events where it's like, okay, we just go and we go and we go, and it's more focused on who we're selling to versus who we're getting to the event, you then lose that relationship. So those more intimate programs, those roundtables, dinners, whatever it may be, I mentioned Avanta at the beginning of the session. They've got those kind of regional communities, and so they can put those on quite well. But look, companies will say, event companies will say, give us your target account list and we'll go after it. In the early days, that was because they just wanted to collect data. So they wanted you to give them data so they could market to people. That was the reason for doing that. Now it's different because they can get a little bit more targeted. But I think the warning signs to look out for is again, making sure they manage your expectations. We can go after your wish list, of course, and we can try hardest. But what kind of level, role, seniority are you kind of content with if we can't get the very top? Like, where can we go? Because then you give them some breathing room. All right, well, we know we can go. We've got the team. We've got the ability to prevent the value of this to somebody within that organization. But are we going to get the CISO every time? Probably not. There's so many factors that go into that. Is the CISO the right person? Maybe not. There might be someone on their team that's positioned to do that. So just work with them and say, look, these are the accounts. We'd love them. We appreciate you're not going to be able to do it. And be open to having some there that aren't wish list because a lot of the time as well, a great tactic from an event team is to say, well, we can reach out to some of our friendlies in a region. We can form the snowball. And then at least we've got something to go to the others on your wish list and say, we've already got these people participating. So would you like to get involved? Everybody wants to know who else is going to be involved in the discussion. So be open to them. We'll have some non-wishes, but we'll also go after your target accounts as well. And then just make sure you come to an agreement on, well, how many of your target accounts are acceptable. But I think asking for 100%, unless it's, no, I don't. I, I really don't. <laughs> no, you can't even think of that. <laughs> I can't even think of one. I really can't. I would love to be proved wrong because I'd love to see it. And I genuinely love to see it because... A company that can do that is obviously a company that everyone should really look to partner with. That's really good advice. Thank you. And also, it sounds reasonable too. It sounds like the foundations of a partnership between a vendor and an event vendor, right? A cybersecurity vendor and event vendor. Exactly. That's what it is. Transparency, communication, that we see vendors talking about it, how they're supposed to market and sell to CISOs and work with CISOs all the time. 
it goes the same way. But the, the challenge is, and this is where I th- respect everybody in your community, what they do, to juggle all of that, all the solicitation you get, all the planning you have to do, the metrics you have to agree to and deliver. We know that is a tough, tough task. Like, that's a really tough task. And so I think as well, if any event companies end up listening to this, like just be respectful. Yes, your boss might be wanting a, you to close a deal, but just be respectful. And they'll more than often get back to you eventually and say, hey, this is where I'm at. I'm sorry for the delay. That's all. I have four solicitations today, just today, from event vendors saying, hey, we've got a CISO, whatever, or we've got a security conference. So <laughs> thank you, Jason, for saying that on behalf of the event community. We'll take it to heart. We forgive all of you event vendors and also do better. We talked about some of the great good guys. I got to say also, we're not sponsored by C-Vision. <laughs> I have worked with them and I also like them a lot. So C-Vision, you're welcome for the testimonial. Anyone who's listening, please say that the Cybersecurity Marketing Society sent you if you did reach out to C-Vision. And also mention Jason. It was on Jason's episode. I mean, I'm texting Nelson right now and I'm going to have some demands. (laughs) (laughs) So Jason, can you either talk about some of the vendors that are doing less than stellar work or give us more red flags to avoid? Yeah, I think there's things to look out for, I think. So another tactic I've seen a couple of event companies use. So the first is the calendar of events. Sometimes event companies will throw up a bunch of events on the calendar because when it gets into Q4 and you're obviously in planning mode and they're in selling mode and Q4, like for most businesses, is an event company's most profitable time. Although I will say that's kind of moved into January now because... Most of the time, plans aren't put together before the end of the year anymore because everyone's just pulling their hair out. Try Um, March. (laughs) Exactly. But anyway, so a calendar of events. I think it's always justifiable to ask how many times have you run this particular program if you're unsure. It's justifiable for vendors to ask, what's the agenda? How are you forming the agenda? Like That is such an important question for any vendor to ask. How are you forming the agenda? How are you creating the content for this? Because that shows like how much they care about their CISO experience or not. And if they don't care about the CISO experience, they're not going to have a good audience. So questions like that, you can easily identify, are they actually going to run this event? Or are they just trying to sell me this event with the hope that by the time it rolls around and we don't run it, they can convince me to put the money towards another event that is going to run, okay? Which happens. The other thing that I've seen happen before is one event being sold as two separate events. Same agenda, same everything, but could be a a CISO and a CIO event as one, but they're sold separately. And then the agenda is exactly the same. So if you look at the agendas and you look at the speakers, they're exactly the same, but they're sold separately so they can generate more revenue against it. That is so scary. I feel like we need the producers of the podcast to cue in some like scary music as Jason is actually saying this. I just took that water and I nearly spat that out. <laughs> but again, that's an extreme case. Like I say, I believe a lot of these practices are dead and buried now. I really do. Because the reality is it's become harder to convince because there's so much more events cropping up. So every event company essentially spawns three more event companies, right? Because people leave and they go and do their own thing. I was one of those individuals at that time. It took me a while to realize it, but and then I eventually went and did my own thing after a, a period of time when I wanted to get back into it. But 
that's what happens. So it becomes more and more and more competitive and more and more and more competitive. And as a result, you've got more and more and more options and everyone's essentially trying to get your budget. And everyone thinks that all you're ever going to do is spend all of your budget with them. Like they just, why are you spending money with them also? Spend it all with us. And they don't understand about kind of hedging your bets and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, these things have happened in the past. Dual agendas or two agendas sold as one. So that's something to look out for. Jason, I think you're saying in the past, literally up until I eventually canceled working with them, I had a prominent event vendor do that to me. The majority of organizations now, as I say, because there's fierce competition, they're all thinking of innovative ways to try and provide more value to you. They're all kind of starting to gear towards more of, well, some of them are saying the term community because it sounds nice. Others are actually trying to build real communities and real value amongst those groups. And there are some good ones. There's, there's a couple I've missed from the start and I've been thinking as you've gone through as well, but as some of the others that I've seen do well, like Security Current, CISO Connect, they do great stuff. Amy Rhodes, she does incredible events. Um, another one that I've seen, which many might know, but Tammy at Sci Alliance, she does some good stuff, like in person and virtual whiskey tastings and things, just a little bit more informal, but some content rests around it. She does some good stuff as well. So there are, yeah, there I've are seen a, lot of, a lot of Tammy's stuff on, on LinkedIn. Yep. I've seen those. Yeah. And there's another one out of the UK, shout out to UK, but Pulse. <laughs> and they do things in North America and they do a fantastic job. Really, really great event. So that's one to look out for. Is there a risk? So working with UK companies predominantly that are based in the UK in America for events? Only that we're the most miserable people on earth, but <laughs> apart from that, you're fine. <laughs> You'll find actually a lot of event companies are owned or the CEO is, is British. A lot of the time this happens. I don't know what it is. I don't know what we do, but no, no risk at all. The reality is if the organization is headquartered out there, but they don't have a US presence, they're running events here. They'll have teams working separate hours and stuff. They're going to be just as attentive. I won't say they'll do it better because that might make enemies in the group, but they kind of do it better anyway. <laughs> so for our friends and listeners that are marketers at cybersecurity vendors who have a growth strategy in EMEA, it's always good to know who is doing the good stuff across the pond. So you mentioned Pulse is a good one to look into. Mm -hmm. Any others that you can think of? No, I'm so de detached from it now. Do events do stuff in Europe? Yeah, I think yeah, they, they do. They do stuff everywhere. They do stuff yeah, in the yeah, Nordics. Yeah. Like you get a, an event to Denmark thing. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, so there are some there. They've got the most presence. I think keys to look out for. Do they have a, a European office for a start? That always helps, obviously. If they've got a European office or employees over there, it's going to help, especially if you're familiar with them in the US. It's always a good question to ask. And again, a lot of event companies, if you ask them like, hey, we'd love to do stuff in Europe, can you help? Some of them may say yes, but just look into it first. Just research it first. Have you done them before? What's your audience like there? Otherwise, again, you're just basically, they're going to blast an email out to a bunch of people a few times and hope that they get enough registrations that kind of make it look good. I have one more question, which is CISO content, right? You're saying that if an event vendor only caters to their customers, which is us, the marketers and sales folks and the cybersecurity companies, they're obviously going to produce an event that's bad for CISOs. What sort of content makes a good event for CISOs so that we can look at some of these programs and be like, oh yeah, this is awesome. Amazing question. I'll start by saying 
if you're sponsoring the event, you are part of that content creation. So the better your content, the better the audience is going to be. It's going to have a direct impact on the quality of the audience. I know it's difficult, but try your hardest to get a customer to come and speak with you. And when everyone asks for it, now again, some event companies will ask for it because they need help filling their attendee list and they want you to bring one of your customers that will then meet with other sponsors. Others is because they're like, we know that these CISOs, they want to see one of them talking about the product. So it's very hard. Timing is hard. I will challenge your members though, however, that do have difficulty with that than saying, well, then you need to improve your customer advocacy programs because really if a customer loves your product, they'd be happy to talk about it amongst other CISOs. Simple. CISOs are so collaborative. They're so collaborative by nature. They're all fighting the same fight. They're all fighting the same bad people attacking their systems. They're all trying to get CISO the respect it deserves internally. It's bring a customer. So content. So content creation is a very important thing. A lot of event companies utilize advisory boards to create content. That's fantastic. It means you're getting content directly from the mouths of the CISOs. I always kind of think you've got to look at how willing the event company is to change their content to accommodate you. That's a bit of a warning sign. Because if that content was created with a CISO and a high CISO audience in mind, the vendor really should plug into the existing content to a certain extent. And on top of that, okay, if there is obviously always room for a little bit of kind of evolution of the content. So yes, there's a topic on API security. Okay, great. Can we just tweak it slightly? Yes, as long as we're covering the same content, that's fine. But if a vendor is willing to just literally forego a session to put you in on whatever you want to talk about, if an event company, sorry, is willing to do that, that's a warning sign immediately as well. Because it just means that they really don't care about the content. It's being created as it goes based on what they sell. And then they probably, the audience is a bit of an afterthought for them. So look at how willing they are to accommodate that. And I think just look at what type of format is the content being delivered in? So a lot of folks, obviously all vendors kind of strive for a standalone presentation. I know that CISOs actually find more value in collaborative roundtable discussions, right? That would always be my recommendations. Like, yeah, it's great to stand up and do your thing, but it's better to be part of a conversation and then say, can I come to your office and do my thing? That's better. So the format, does it lend to a more collaborative type conversation? Or is it just a series of standalone presentations to fill it in? I love to see roundtables. I love to see panels. And I love to see kind of like where it might break off into streams and stuff, different tracks. And those are kind of some good things to look out for. Other things include asking in the Cybersecurity Marketing Society about specific event companies, just to plug us. We have a very active vendor recommendations channel. So feel free to jump in and say, hey, I'm thinking about working with this company. Does anyone have any experience? And you'll get a lot of opinions on that. If you're in our society, we have a collection of every review since we started, since March 2020, of any cybersecurity marketer reviewing any vendor that's been mentioned in our group. So we have that as a resource too. Jason, would you mind if we ask you about a couple of vendors and event companies that our members want to hear about? Do I have the ability to plead the fifth every now and then? Yeah, you can say skip. (laughs) (laughs) I have one. Can I start? Go for it. EM360. EM360? I'll be honest, I'll say they've never really been on my radar, quite frankly. So I don't know too much about them. Ooh, okay, fine. You can go down the list, Gianna. Awesome. We'll ask just a few more. Secure CISO. Secure CISO. So I believe that is 
Cecil Connect, if I'm not mistaken. I believe that's Amy's, Amy Rhodes' company. Yeah. They get great. They just got David Cass as part of like, like a, not quite a CISO in residence. Are they? Oh, maybe he is the CISO in residence now there. But David is awesome. They do some good events. They do some really, really good stuff. They've got a great group. At least again, that's the feedback that I've had from a lot of people. They're, they're spoken quite positively in the CISO circles. Nice. My turn. What about this one that I keep hearing about a lot, the CISO Society? I'm kidding. Mm. <laughs> well, obviously. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> we have a fantastic little group. We don't do a lot of event stuff. It's something that we want to start doing more of just because obviously we want a reason to be able to bring our community together. As I mentioned, a part of a community is the ability to bring them together face to face. So we want to be doing more of those things, of course. But no, you don't need to worry too much. I don't think about me banging your door down to come and check out a password protected list anytime soon. The one thing I did want to advise, I did want to give, I don't want to break the recommendation thing, but to get the best price, to get the best deal from an event company. Okay. Ooh. Legitimately, folks I used to work for, we always used to say, wouldn't it be great if you could just start a business where you essentially just like charged vendors the profit that you save them or whatever from you being a broker for event deals and stuff, because we know the industry inside out. So some things that you can do, people. The first one is either sign up really far in advance or leave it right till the last minute. Okay. Really far in advance when you're one of the first sponsors, you're going to be able to get a good price because they just want to get things going. Leave it right to the last minute. They're pretty much always going to accommodate you. Pretty much always. Now that can also be a warning sign sometimes, right? But it could be a case genuinely that they just didn't fill their sponsorship slots or a sponsor had to pull out because the person they had coming to speak, which is very important to the experience, couldn't make it, whatever. So these things happen, but if you're willing to kind of like squeeze something, leave it to the last minute. Another thing, and this is really horrible to say, but look at the company and see if you can find the batch of employees that joined most recently. Because with any sales team, they want to get some deals going because they want to feel good. They want to feel like they're doing a good job. And so if you approach somebody, you worked for this company, I noticed, and we were looking at their events, they're going to be very excited. They're going to want to do a deal. The manager's obviously going to take over the kind of conversation and control, but they will be very accommodating on price because they want to get this person a deal. So if you dig your heels in, it's better for them to go, yeah, okay, we'll do the deal versus, oh, it's dead. And then that person now is really demotivated because they're really new. So that's really horrible to pick on the new person. But at the same time, we get a good deal as a result of it. Is it horrible or is it strategic? I mean, everyone wins. It's a win, 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 ultimately, because they feel great. And then they get to like have their first client and they're going to go above and beyond for you and all these types of things. And you kind of get something at a good price. And then the final bit would be obviously, and every event company wants you to do this, but buy in bulk. When you're buying in bulk, you're always going to be able to negotiate a pretty hefty discount. This is what would frustrate me working for events because I'd be like, well, now where's the inventory that we have to try and make up by adding more vendors to it to hit the budget. So now the content is compromised because it was sold for two less, but buy in bulk and you'll be able to get a lot more bang for your buck for want of a better phrase. Holy cow. Those are some pretty awesome, horrible strategic advice. (laughs) thank you (laughs) so we are at almost an hour of this podcast thank you jason for being a content machine and we hope that no event vendors try to take you out 
hope there's no event mafia out there. <laughs> Should we play our <laughs> and Maria? Let's jump into our game. I think right. So Jason, we're going to play our game where we're going to guess what you would do if you were not doing what you are doing today, basically. So if you're not a founder of a cybersecurity community, and if you're not in events also, what would you be doing? Maria, do you want to go first about me? Yeah, I'll go first. I have a crazy one. And this is like completely off the cuff. I have no idea. I didn't do the research on this. I didn't try to dig up your Facebook profile to see what you're into and what weird groups you're part of. (laughs) What about Jason? If you weren't doing what you're doing today, you would be a sportscaster, particularly like English football. I could see you doing like commentating on an Arsenal football game. That, it, well, not Arsenal because I'm a Tottenham Hotspur fan Ooh. for a start. Uh, and they are, of course, bitter rivals. More importantly, I don't have a voice for commentary. This isn't a voice for radio, unfortunately. Yeah, <laughs> No one wants to listen to this. So I'd love it. I mean, to be able to go to all these sporting events and just basically talk about what you're seeing in front of you would be pretty cool, but <laughs> I don't think I'll be doing that. Sorry, Maria. Oh, I'm going to win. So, <laughs> and I'm not going to cheat. So Jason, I did see that you had a degree in leisure and sport management. So my mind, I thought you'd be a ref for, and I was going to say Arsenal, because I think that's the only football team that any of us know here in the US, but I'm actually not going to say that because I feel like it's cheating. So I'm going to say lifeguard. A lifeguard? No way. Wow. Is, <laughs> no way. give it away. The red Speedos he's wearing currently while recording the podcast. Honestly, like, I'm not the person you want to be around in a life or death situation because I've run. I'm running away. I'm not a hero. I'm not trying to be a hero. I'm getting out. So lifeguard, you're on your own. I'm afraid of the sea, maybe a swimming pool, but then I can't open my eyes underwater, so I'd be a bit useless. No, I, th- <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be that either. Was a ref correct? No, referees <laughs> are the most abused individuals on the football field, so I, I don't think I could live with that either. If I wasn't doing any of this, and this is, but those who are close to me pretty much know this now, if I wasn't doing this, I would be running a pizzeria. God, man, I always guess, oh, you would do food truck. You'd be in the restaurant business. And the day that I actually don't say that is the day that it is the right answer. Gosh. Yeah, pizzeria. I don't know what it is about it. I'd love making pizza and eating pizza. And I don't know why, but that would be what I would be doing. Jason, let's talk. Let's bring good pizza to CISO roundtables. How's that? I think that's a great business idea. Yeah. Okay, so neither of us won. So I don't know who gets the point here, but Jason, thank you so much for being on our show. This has been elucidating. I think that's a word, maybe illuminating. How can people reach out to you and contact you if they want more info about you or the CISO Society? Oh, they can look me up on LinkedIn, obviously. Hopefully my name will be spelled correctly. So they can, of course, look me up on LinkedIn. The kind of parent company, which my email is attached to is jason at lorumadvisory.com, L-O-R-E-M advisory.com. So yeah, love connecting with people. And if I can help in any way, shape or form, I'll be more than happy to. Awesome. We'll put those links in the show notes. Anybody listening, if you want to be on Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing, send an email to podcasts with an S at hackervalley.com, where our amazing producers, Ron and Chris, will personally reply to your email with like lots of love and attention. So send that email over and we'll see you next Wednesday, wherever podcasts are 
sound. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Thank you for having me, both of you.